Well, according to the World Health Organization, there is an estimated 4% of the global population currently experiencing anxiety disorders. In 2019, 301 million people in the world were recognised as having an anxiety disorder, making anxiety disorders the most common of all mental health challenges. Even in Australia, the lucky country, the prevalence is similar, with the most common mental illness in Australia being anxiety disorders as well, with approximately 3.3 million people, or 17% of the population. So with the prevalence of anxiety and worry in our world today, is whistling the 1988 Bobby McFerrin tune, Don't Worry, Be Happy, a cruel joke? And does Jesus' command to not worry have us feel like a failure? Or perhaps it's time to look at the message of Jesus again. Let me pray. Jesus, we recognise that there are times where we can get caught up in the worries of life. But we also recognise that there are those who, for, for um, part of our, our church family, part of our community, part of the world, worries are so much more than just a day-to-day thing. It's an all-consuming thing. And so we want to be especially mindful of them today as well. Lord, as we delve into your word, would you help us to see what it is that you're wanting to say to us today in times of challenge, in times where we can easily get trapped into worrying. Amen. Now, today when we look at the topic of worry um, or anxiety, it is based on Matthew 6, but I'll also spend most of my time in Luke 12. It's also important to acknowledge that that I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm a pastor in a local church who wants to do his best to gently share God's word with us today. It's also important to recognise that there are some great resources out there as well um, that we can access. Groups like Lifeline, the Suicide Callback Service, Beyond Blue, Men's Line Australia, Kids Helpline and 13YARN. These numbers are on the screen and for those that are listening to the recording we'll also put a copy of those numbers um, in the recording information as well. So for those of us in the auditorium and for those of you at home or maybe you're listening to a recording, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. To Luke chapter 12 in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, if you'd like to get a copy of a Bible, then please let me know and we'd love to get one for you. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time in Luke 12, but we'll also quickly drop into Matthew 6 for a moment as we look at the next in our Questioning Jesus series. So in Luke 12, 22, we read, Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant 
or harvest or store food in barns. Yet God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Now, of course, we recognise that Jesus didn't mean that we shouldn't worry about things today. You know, that's, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Because we should be worrying about things today. After all, the dominant issue in Australia today is the cost of living crisis. And while I don't want to make light of the Australian annual inflation rate of 4.1%, spare a thought for countries like Zimbabwe or Venezuela, where inflation is over 200%, according to the International Monetary Fund. But it can be helpful to understand the context in which Jesus is speaking in. In Jesus' day, the gap between the rich and poor was massive. Yes, there was a bit of a middle class as well. And for those doing it tough at best, they were living paycheck to paycheck every day. Not once a week, not once a fortnight, but they were getting paid at best once a day. And there was no guarantee that they were going to get work the next day. Food was used to advertise and reinforce social hierarchy. Wealth was recognised through both positive and negative signs around what people would eat. Positive signs would include the consumption of choice meats, white uh, wheat-based bread and wine, and the negative signs were the avoidance of barley-based breads or eating certain legumes or wild plants or particular types of meat. Remember the days in Australia where there used to be the black and white brands of produce in the shelves? I'm not sure whether you had it down in Victoria, but in Queensland we had some of that as well, where it was black and white brands. And and there was almost like a shame associated with people um, that they would feel if they were buying that rather than the branded stuff because of the stark contrast with it. Well, it was kind of like that in Jesus' day as well, based on what you would have on your plate. The kind of meat one ate was the clearest sign of status. Red meat was for the wealthy. The average person could rarely afford red meat. Eating it was a special treat at best at the times of shared sacrifice during the festival times of Passover, the uh, Feast of Weeks or Booths. Poultry, like ducks or doves or sparrows, were the source of protein for those doing it really tough along with fresh or dried fish. Malnutrition was a real issue, resulting in all sorts of skin conditions. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus and his situation because of poverty and malnutrition. Upper and middle classes would live in homes with, where they would have several rooms and they would often sleep on, on wooden bed frames, whereas the average person might have a home with a room and an earth floor, sleeping on a bedroll that they would roll out at night. And the middle and lower classes would use their cloak, the, the garment that they wore during the day, as a blanket at night. According to the Tosepata, a poor man was not to give his wife new clothes for summer um, or... or um, new clothes for summer and worn-out clothes for winter. So new clothes in summer and worn-out clothes in winter. 
Instead, he should furnish his wife with new clothes for winter. A single cloak, perhaps of a tunic or a coat for winter to help her to stay warm. And then by summer, when it started to wear out, it was less of an issue during the heat of the day and of the evening because they didn't have a multiplicity of clothes that they could wear from their wardrobe. For Jesus' average audience, the cost of living was a harsh and unforgiving reality. Just before this, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who tears down his barns to build bigger ones, to store all his wheat and all his other goods, then plans to take it easy, to eat, to drink, to be merry. But at his death, All his wealth means nothing. So Jesus turns from the crowds, from the thousands that had gathered to listen to him. And then he turns to his disciples and he shifts his focus from greed, where you can never get enough, to worry, where you fear that you may never have enough. And to his disciples, questioning Jesus, asks in quick succession, In verse 25, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worrying can accomplish a little thing like, if worrying can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big things? And while this is a rhetorical question that does not seek the disciples to provide a, to to voice an answer, Jesus does call the disciples to start an internal dialogue, to shift in their attitude and with it, hopefully, their behaviour. And then to, to reinforce the point about the futility of worrying, Jesus continues with other examples from nature. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory, in all his wealth, in all his opulence, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. So what is Jesus getting at when he's talking about not to worry? If worry doesn't extend life, even by a minute, even by a second, then can worry create a meal? Or can worry create a new set of clothes? You see, the difference between considering and thinking about things and worrying about things can be quite stark. Earlier we heard from Amy as she read from Ecclesiastes 11 and the importance of good and wise investments because life involves risk. In Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6 we read, plant your seeds in the morning and keep busy doing other work, looking for other sources of income, looking for other ways to be able to continue to um, make ends meet, to live life well. Keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if your profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe 
both. In other words, as the old saying goes, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Or to take another stark example from nature, let's look at Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labour hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of your hands to the rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Jesus is not telling the disciples to do nothing. Absolutely, they should do what they can to take care of their day-to-day needs. But to start worrying about it will not achieve anything extra. It will not make what they have bigger. Worrying about it will not ha- have what they will not make what they have last longer. It's been said that worrying is for atheists. And when we consider Luke 12:30, there is something to that. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers all over the world. The thoughts of worry, the thoughts of concern, the thoughts of, can I get enough food? Can I get enough clothing? Can I do this? Can I achieve that? And they worry about it and they focus and, and, and centre their minds on it. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. And then Jesus says tenderly, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven can never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe No thief can steal it. No scam over the internet can access it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So at a time when the cost of living of pressure is extreme and people would live day to day, they had a choice. They could spend their time and their energy worrying about it or they could spend their time and energy getting on with what God had called them to do. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Matthew finishes his record of this account with these words from Jesus. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Or as my father-in-law Rex would say, don't borrow trouble. 2,000 years later on, we've been through a pretty rough patch as a world with COVID-19 and in the wake of it, we still continue to experience the turbulence of challenging times. We have Russia's aggression against the Ukraine and the concerning war in Gaza with Israel's response. These are just some of the few challenges, a few of the challenges, along with cost of living, rent, 
housing affordability in Australia. So what will we choose to do about it? As followers of Jesus, if you choose to worry, then I guess Jesus' question is true for us today. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worrying, when you think about it, when you think about worrying about and consuming yourself in these things, and if worrying can't add a single moment to your life, and if worrying can't accomplish a little thing like that, a single second to your life, then what's the use of worrying about bigger things? But don't think for a moment that Jesus is talking about inactivity. Jesus never called us to be faithless. To do so is to be dumber than an ant. But it is also essential to distinguish between people, including Christians, who have mental health challenges that bring about anxiety at the level of being considered a mental illness. To just say that becoming a Christian will take away your mental illness can be as concerning as expecting becoming a Christian will help an amputee grow back a missing limb. If you have mental health challenges around anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, etc., then you should continue to seek medical support and also hopefully a caring Christian community that will support you, love you, pray for you and pray with you. Those who experience these sorts of challenges, um, then for you and for each one of us, there's a couple of quick things that we can do to remember in this situation. Your illness or challenge does not define you and don't accept it when others want to define you by it. And God passionately loves you and promises you a future where you will know wholeness and completeness. For all of us, when we face the challenge of being worried and getting stressed and borrowing trouble, worrying about the day-to-day stuff of life, then the question that Jesus asks still stands for us today. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worrying can't accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? So what do we do instead? We can, we can then just become consumed about, okay, I'm not allowed to worry. So every time I start to worry, I start to worry about worrying and then I start to worry about it. I'm worrying about worrying and it just becomes this, this all-consuming circle. No, Jesus actually gives us some practical things to do instead of worrying. Remember that God knows what you need. So when you start to worry, remember that God already knows exactly what you need. Thank God that he does. And trust him to take responsibility for the things that only he can do. And for us to take responsibility for the things that Jesus calls us to do. Seek the kingdom of God. Spend time with God and seek to live out the values and the priorities of the kingdom of God in your day-to-day life. 
if you don't know where to start when it comes to seeking the kingdom of God, then can I encourage you to spend some time to slowly and intentionally read through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Do it slowly. Do it deliberately. Reflect on the values of the kingdom of God and how you can choose to live those values out. Prayerfully consider how you can apply those things to your life today. And trust that God has your back. God will not necessarily take away the troubles of the day, but God is with you in the troubles of the day. So pray that he will give you wisdom, peace, discernment, and favour in what you do in the everyday stuff of life. And remember that if things don't work out, our hope is in Jesus. Beyond the crucifixion Friday to the resurrection Sunday. And lastly, if you have extra, a demonstration of your trust in Jesus is to share that extra with others rather than holding on to all that we can to be prepared to share what we can with others. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13, Paul says, Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. When we move from an attitude of ownership to a response of stewardship, it changes our thinking about what we have around us. What we have belongs to God. God owns it. I steward it. And it shifts our perspective on what we hold on to and that we're able to share what God has blessed us with. Stewardship helps us to remember that we have responsibility to care for things, but not to worry over things. After all, the things that we could easily get worried about, they belong to God. So, how do we respond today? How do you respond to the things that God's saying to you today? Let me pray for a moment, and I want to invite you to reflect on a few questions. Jesus, the last thing that I want to do is to heap worry upon people because they might worry. Nor do I want people to feel guilty because of worries that they might have. But Jesus, you call us to have faith in you. You invite us, you encourage us to trust in you. That you know exactly what we need. And so, as you own all things, as all things belong to you, help us to have a mindfulness, a stewardship of even our own lives that when we've entrusted our life to you, when we've given our life to you, it belongs to you. And we trust you to take care of what you own. Lord, help us to be leaders in the area of what it means to have faith and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.
So how do we respond? Well, there's a few things that I want to encourage you to do. It's take some time to think about the things that you worry about. Don't start getting stressed about it right now. Okay. But just think about what are some of the things that you might worry about. And then critically question, has worrying about any of those things helped? My guess is probably not. Think about what does it mean for you to trust that God knows what you need. If God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful, what does it mean for you to know that God knows what you need in any given situation? How might, you, uh, how might seeking God's kingdom in a situation change your focus, your perspective on situations? And how can you steward what God has entrusted to you to help shape eternity, to sow into the kingdom of heaven, to sow into eternity by what we do with God, what God has blessed us with today. There's going to be some music played, and as that music's played, I encourage you to take some time to pause and to reflect on what God's saying to you today. God bless you.